This week, more about Halibu First Nation and the Blueberry Blunder. Where to from here? And we welcome Gloosecap Community Radio to the Mi'kmaq Matters Network. Thank you for supporting Mi'kmaq Matters through Patreon or email funds transfer. Wilalio. We have more coverage of the Blueberry Blunder, in which Halibu failed not only to intervene to try and stop herbicide spraying, but didn't even tell its members about Amira's plans on some of the best berry-picking grounds in southwestern Newfoundland. As we noted last week, it's not only about the berries. But first, another Mi'kmaq radio station goes live, and we add a new member to the Mi'kmaq Matters radio network. Glooscap Community Radio comes from Glooscap First Nation and what is now known as Nova Scotia. You can listen online to Indigenous music and programming, streaming at www.glooscapradio.com. I spoke with project manager Michael Peters on the morning of the big day when Glooscap Community Radio went live. Today is the big day. Uh, you're going to be uh, online um, at the beginning at least, and where can people find you online? Yes, so we're going to be online today um, starting at 1 p.m. here on uh, Atlantic Standard Time, Saturday, August 15th. So um, right now people will be able to find us um, on our website through online through www.loosecapradio.com. We, we are developing both Android and iPhone apps as well, and they should be available probably in the next few weeks. And when did you uh, take the big step of starting your own radio station? Yeah, so um, we kind of started the station because we were looking at um, effective ways to kind of communicate with our community members, especially those who are living a distance away. So Blues Cap's kind of a small community. We only have 400 community members, but um, about half of our membership live uh, outside of the physical boundaries of the community. So we have community members living in Ontario, New Brunswick, um, New England, such as New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Maine, community members in Florida, and the United Kingdom, and so on. So what we wanted to do is we currently have newsletters that we, but unfortunately, they can kind of be slow and kind of get outdated quickly when you mail them. So radio is kind of an efficient way that can uh, get information out, can be easily updated, kind of keeping people in the loop quicker. And uh, I think during this whole uh, COVID-19, this has kind of shown us, you know, how important it is to get out relevant and important information uh, in a timely manner, mm-hmm. and as well as getting that information updated. Yes. Um, and, you know, in addition, we also wanted to find a, a mode that we could use to promote uh, local indigenous music, stories, and news to our community members. Um, cultural language um, is going to be a big part of this in the future. And we also had a staff member who helped um, run a community radio station in Africa, so she's been a great resource for us as well. Great. Let me ask you about the programming. So uh, are you going to be doing a lot of your own um, programming, um, producing it yourself with volunteers, or uh, how do you That's see right. that going? So as we kind of, this is kind of like a soft launch at the moment, but um, the goal is, to, as time goes on, is we get out, kind of work out these tech bugs and so on, 
to kind of have um, community members involved more and create a lot of our own content. So we'll have a lot of volunteers in the community that can help create, uh, you know, information and stuff like that. Well, that's great because uh, we have uh, in uh, our Mi'kmaq communities, we have um, five radio stations already, one in Newfoundland at um, Yobike, again, then four uh, uh, in Nova Scotia. But um, I hope I'm not being unkind when I say that a lot of them uh, are heavy on the classic rock and um, oh, yeah. with yeah. limited uh, limited uh, Mi'kmaq programming. So I'm glad that uh, you guys are, um, are are going to have something more it is going to have to a very big focus, yes. Yeah, for sure, on, on the community, on the culture, indigenous music. So there will be, you know, a little bit of, you know, more Canadian content, I'll say. But um, but we're going to kind of keep that to a minimum, so as much as we can. Yes, great. So let's, uh, you mentioned the community is, uh, is you have 100 in the community and, um, and more, many more off. And uh, for yes. our listeners who might not be familiar with Gloosecap, uh, <clears throat> Your uh, how can we describe it? You're up uh, towards the uh, the Minas Basin, um, and, right. and close close to Blomidon, of course, which is uh, I guess um, where you get your name because um, you know the legendary figure Gluskat came from that area. So uh, hence your uh, your the name of the of your community. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. So uh, we're located about 20 minutes from Blomidon uh, Provincial Park, um, one of the homes of uh, Gluskap. So um, we're a small mainland Mi'kmaq community here in Nova Scotia. We're the third smallest Mi'kmaq community in Nova Scotia by population, actually. And we're located about 45 minutes west of Halifax. Um, we're a young community. We were only established in 1984 um, you know, for the Indian Act. However, um, we've been here much longer, as everyone knows. Um, our physical community is quite small with regards to acreage as well. We only have about 500 acres of land here. But we have a lot in our community. We have a chapel. We have a brand new uh, community hall we just built a few years ago, as well as a new library and daycare, a health center. We've got uh, two gas bars, a Griffel Pizza, Tim Hortons, uh, quite a few walking trails, and a little sky circle. So a great little community on top of a, a hill just outside Hansport. Well, Michael, nice to talk to you, and um, good luck with the uh, with the station. And um, we'll be listening online, so um, all the best. Thank you. Well, on. Appreciate it. Michael Peters of Gluskap Community Radio. And you can listen to Mi'kmaq Matters on Gluskap from Thursday to Tuesday at 8 p.m. Atlantic Time, half an hour later in Newfoundland. www.gluskapradio.com And now back to that blueberry business we told you about last week. Herbicide spraying near Lloyd's River off the Burjo Highway, carried out by the utility Amira near its power lines. Halibu did get advance notice, but Halibu members only learned about the spraying when they showed up with their plastic buckets and saw the signs, area sprayed, don't eat the berries. Later in the program, we'll hear from Andrew Parsons, Minister of Justice and Public Safety and Attorney General for Newfoundland and Labrador, and MHA for Burjo Lapoile. But perhaps even more serious than the herbicide spraying is the attitude of Halibut leadership toward environmental issues and their ability to take a stand. Regarding the herbicide spraying, 
Halibut Councillor Ivan White Sr. said in an email to community chiefs that there was little to persuade Amira of any Halibut concern or rights. That defeatism reflects the views of top Halibut leadership. As we heard in a recent video update from Chief Brenda Mitchell and Vice Chiefs Randy Drover and Keith Cormier. The chief was responding to criticism of the band for entering into negotiations with Marathon Gold Corporation regarding the controversial Valentine Lake Megamine. Don't worry, the chief says, we'll consult members before we sign anything. He added, Marathon came to us. Maybe they didn't have to come to us at all. At which point, Vice Chief Keith Cormier chimed in, adding to the undermining of Halibu's political strength by citing the Drew case, in which the Newfoundland courts found that the Mi'kmaq came to so-called Newfoundland with the Europeans, and therefore have no Aboriginal rights. On episode 137, we spoke with lawyer and legal scholar Jerry Wetzel about Drew, which he says was a botched case brought before enough archaeological evidence had been collected. Miobigeg, who brought the case, also failed to call witnesses who could give expert historical evidence of Mi'kmaq pre-European voyages from the Magdalen Islands across the Gulf of St. Lawrence to Newfoundland and across to St. Pierre. Cormier went on to say that the provincial government has made it clear to Halibu that, because of Drew, the band has no veto rights on development. And he said... We don't have the power to go in there and say, you're not doing this on Valentine Lake. They would just shut us down in a heartbeat. Well, yes, Vice Chief Cormier, Marathon Gold might try that. But if Halibu, the second largest First Nation in Canada, were to oppose the Valentine Lake megamine, perhaps with Meobigag First Nation, that would be a major problem for Marathon Gold. Leave aside legal rights for the moment, Consider the political fallout for Marathon Gold. Two First Nations, environmentalists, members of the general public all joined together because of their concerns about a megamine in one of the most environmentally sensitive areas of the province. Could the mine be stopped? Maybe, maybe not. But First Nations could have a major impact on project design, if nothing else. So, Vice Chief Cormier, the problem is not that you don't have any power. Maybe you just don't want to use it. Now, back to the blueberries. How do we get blueberries into the deep freeze rather than dying on the bush in a cloud of herbicide? On the one hand, the provincial government is promoting food sustainability, while at the same time allowing one of the healthiest foods, blueberries, to die on the ground. I spoke with Andrew Parsons, MHA for Burgio Poil about the notification problems regarding the latest spring and how to change the environmental rules so that we can protect the blueberries. So, Andrew, uh, let's uh, start by um, me asking you, how did you become aware of that uh, spring off the Virgil Highway? Uh, it was something that I became aware of after hearing from uh, Greg Jeans and Virgil, uh, Greg's uh, always stayed in contact, and when he became aware, uh, I know that he started uh, speaking about it publicly, and that's how I uh, got word. And uh, so, what happened then? Uh, you talked to uh, Greg, and uh, what follow-up did you have? So basically, when I spoke to Greg last week, he told me that he had become aware. Uh, I was not sure if the public notice aspect uh, had Emera 
given notice, you know, what had they done. And so what I had told him is that I would certainly reach out and see what I could find out, which I did. Uh, I spoke to Emira, actually had a teleconference. And what I found out is that Emira actually uh, did uh, put out a public notice and has followed all the proper channels according to the Department of Municipal Affairs and Environment. And they had notified the Halapu First Nation. Uh, I think there may have been some kind of breakdown in communication then after that, you know, was the community notified in the proper way? Uh, you know, were citizens notified? Uh, after speaking to Amir, what they've said is that, you know, they have no issue, even though they they met the requirements, they had no problem expanding their, their database to include more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's one of those things where I, I, I think uh, things change. I mean, even the legislation says they had to do things a certain way, but I mean, when we talk about and notifying people through uh, through written notice, we'll say, or through newspapers, that's not quite uh, the way I th- I think any of us see how it should be done now. Is uh, obviously you can, going digital allows you for a greater uh, you know a greater reach and a greater following, and so that's one thing that they're going to add to, uh, mm-hmm. and so that's sort of where it left off. Uh, uh, I guess on my end. So uh, let's let's talk about the notification. So that seems to be a big uh, a big uh, issue here. Uh, what um, what? So in your understanding, what notification did Amira do? So they were in touch with the Halibu band for one thing, and did they tell? Did you get any particulars on that aspect of the notification? Yeah, well, I think what they sent out was a uh, a I guess a, a generic. Uh, notice that, uh, and again, you know, from what I gather, it meets any of the guidelines that have been set out by the uh, the applicable department. Uh, I don't know. And that would be, be the environment. Uh, M- municipal affairs and environment. environment. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. So they would have sent that out to the Halapu First Nation. Uh, now, how does it get distributed after that point? That's the part that I'm not quite sure of and still trying to find out exactly. Uh, you know, how does it work after that? Uh, I think they may have notified uh, the Burgio Town Council, but I, that's something I'm still trying to follow up on. Mm. And um, so and so we have the Halibu notification, and then we have the what we might call the general community notification. So I understand that uh, one of the things uh, Amira did was put an ad in the Telegram in St. John's. Well, of course, anyone who knows Newfoundland knows that um, the likelihood of that being seen in Bergio were not great. Um, so not at all. Maybe that's something they had to think about. Maybe they should look at the map. Well, I, I think, uh, and this is a, an issue I've talked about within my own department, that the legislation is laid out from years ago was, I think, dealing with a different time when there was more community newspapers, when there was more widespread uh, newspaper coverage. But the reality is now that that's, just not there. Many community papers uh, no longer exist. And the reality is that many people, like we have no access, hard copy access to the telegram or to something like the Western Star, which I think is even not even in the same existence as it used to be. Whereas I think we all know that online now, whether it's social media or other platforms, uh, there's far greater access. So this is where I think that a conversation needs to occur within various government departments where we say, look, let's change the legislation to make it relevant to today. How do we, you know, how do we accomplish the same goal, which is 
you know, disseminating information to a widespread audience, what's the best way to do that? Um, right now, just putting it in the Gazette or putting it in a newspaper is just not reaching the, the people that should. Yes. So and and so and what did you find out from Amira? Who, who did you talk to from Amira? The Amira has a uh, a Newfoundland office now, and they have, um, I guess, their public relations people are, are in Halifax. So uh, were you speaking to uh, Halifax or to Newfoundland? Discussions well, I know one of the gentlemen I spoke to is a fellow named Norm Dimmel, who is I think the Newfoundland uh, VP. Uh, there were two under two other individuals, and I wouldn't be <laughs> the, the nature of the call. I wouldn't be able to tell you where they are. St. John's, Halifax, uh, it wasn't identified. Oh. Uh, but they had talked about that, and, and they were certainly aware of this had been. In fact, I think they might have been speaking to Greg as well. Uh, it had been brought to their attention. Uh, so a couple of the big points that they put to me was, "Hey, look, we've we have followed." Uh, all the relevant legislation and requirements. So they met the requirements which they wanted to put, put out there. Uh, secondly, uh, they were very open to, uh, you know, expanding their networks and including people. So one of the things that Greg and I discussed was that there's a, there's a way of disseminating information in Burgio through their uh, community access channel, uh, that many people aren't aware of, but once you do become aware, you realize that that's probably the greatest way of reaching all of the community at, in one, you know, one shot with a unified message. And they were quite open to that. They had absolutely no issue or just adding more and more people to the email list that they send it to. Mm. Uh, I think one of the breakdowns may have been once it was sent to the Halifu First Nation. And I'm, I'm hesitant to to delve in here because I haven't spoken to the Halapu myself. I'm just going on the information that was passed to me. But once it's sent to the Halapu and then it breaks down into the various representatives of areas, it's, I'm not sure who it went to, how it was supposed to go out, and did it go out. Right. Well, my understanding is that Amira did contact Halapu and they wanted to set up a, a, a meeting with the uh, the war councillor who's uh, responsible for Burgio. But then there was a staff change at Amira, and uh, and then the information that Halibu got was not distributed. So I think there were perhaps uh, uh, breakdowns on both sides, both on the on the Halibu side and on the Amira side. And um, you know maybe that's you know life uh, things. You know we do have these breakdowns from time to time. Um, but on the uh, on the spring itself, so I understand from what you're saying that uh, Amira thinks that he had, well, and I think legally uh, they're correct that they they got their permit to spray from the environment department, and they've met the requirements. But I wonder if the uh, if we should think about the requirements because um, you know we do have all those beautiful blueberries that grow in that area, and. Um, did you get an understanding from Amira about the extent of the spraying? Because one thing that we can't figure out is why, what, what's the trouble with blueberries? Because they they grow low, and if Amira is concerned about growth that uh, will um, be safety hazards for their towers, then blueberries should be their friend because they stay low to the ground. So that part we didn't uh, go widely into. They did let me know that it was a it's a multi year program. So if uh, they spray, say, this year, they won't be back in the same area, I think, for seven or eight years. Uh, so, again, it, thankfully, it's not an annual issue. Uh, but that being said, when you hear about, you know, 
uh, berry picking grounds and, and other areas. Uh, the question I do have, and I, and I don't have an answer to this, and I think this is one to be worked on, and I, and I do think we have some time. Uh, I mean, either the silver lining or the bad news, depending on which way you look at it, that it is done. You know, I'm, we're speaking after the fact it is done, but we do have some time before it's going to be coming back to this area. So the question becomes: Is there a way that everybody can uh, achieve their mutual goals? In the case of uh, you know, citizens being able to pick berries uh, would be their goal. Is there a way for Emira to accomplish their goals without, you know, I guess affecting that first rate? Uh, that's a question that I don't have an answer to, but I, I'd like to think that we're going to be able to figure that out. I know uh, your your government is promoting Newfoundland agriculture now, food uh, uh, independence uh, for Newfoundland in terms of you know regular agriculture. And of course, blueberries are could be part of that because you can buy your blueberries at the supermarket that come from uh, Chile or someplace, or you can have your local blueberries that people love and they love to pick. So uh, it would seem to be consistent with your other policy goals to have uh, to make it possible for people to pick blueberries without having uh, absolutely and and to me there's a way this is where you know uh, government entities because again Emera is not being you know technically a part of government will say this is where everybody needs to try to work hand in hand to accomplish their mutual goals whereas I don't think it has to be one or the other uh, certainly when we talk about food sustainability uh, you know, any anything we can do to lessen the impact on uh, berry peeing grounds or any, or any kind of uh, natural resource is not something we want to do. Uh, so I think that there has to be a greater emphasis on that. And, and again, from what, what I can tell, it seems like all the different parties are willing to have that conversation. In this particular case, it just through, you know, through happenstance, through, through whatever, and I don't think anything intentional. Uh, it just doesn't seem like that conversation or the information got out like it should. Mm. So, what's the uh, what are the next steps from your point of view? Then, are there going to be more conversations, or are we going to be surprised? Uh, are we going to drop the ball again on seven years from now? We'll have more spraying and more uh, and, and well, more wasted blueberries. I, I I think we need to to find out exactly where the breakdown of communication happened because I don't think it the if there's fault, I don't think it lies with any one entity. I think it. Uh, you know, I think we all need to look at, you know, what is the goal here? The goal is they have a, a program that they want to put in place, but they have a, a communications uh, obligation, we'll say. We need to work with all the different partners to make sure everybody has an opportunity, not just to know better, but to know in advance. Uh, finding it and having this conversation afterwards uh, is fine, but it's not something we want to make a regular habit of. Why would you want to be dissecting the situation after continuously. And so I agree with you. We need to find a way to make sure that the ball doesn't get dropped again uh, and see if there are any solutions to the issues presented by the, the different partners in this. So who's who's going to be a part of that conversation, do you think? Well, I, I think there has to be, obviously, the Department of Municipal Affairs and Environment would have to be a part of that. Uh, I, I think that the EMER or any company doing types of programs like this would have to be a part of it. Uh, and I also think that the local groups, obviously the Halapu, and uh, again, we have to make sure it's fine to say that, that just the Halapu, but we need to make sure that citizens in the affected areas, people that use the grounds, whether they're Halapu or, or non-Halapu, have an opportunity to be aware of this. So 
Uh, and, and there's different means to achieve that. But again, it comes down to communication. MHA Andrew Parsons. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Nimaltus. Mm-hmm.